Good morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Steve Williamson here. Martin Luther King Day today. Did you ever get a chance to hear him speak live? Um, no, no. 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 I, I did at a, uh, a church, really a cathedral in uh, St. Louis, and I think he was the best speaker I ever heard in my life. There was one other guy who I thought was, nobody remembers now, called Wayne Morris, who was a sort of conservative Republican, but he was opponent of the Vietnam War. And he was he was very, very good, too. But Dr. King was really the best speaker I ever heard. I mean, he really had people. It was an extraordinary experience. I mean, we hear lots of good speeches and lots of bad speeches, but we very seldom... Hear one that was as, as deep, Karen, as 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 uh, and it's one that resonates 50 years later, and with people, and still gets them to want to go out and do something. Yeah, and as they read, even if they never heard, if they read it for the first time today, it still has some of that same resonance. Or listen, yeah. To, I, I think I was still a, a, a teenager. I was like 19, and. Uh, um, I was surprised when they they went around afterwards and uh, passed the uh, the uh, whatever you call it in the church collection <laughs> collection basket <laughs> and uh, I thought gee this inspiring speech I'm just uplifted and suddenly they're asking for money and it took a while you get a little older you realize that that's part of it that you never completely separate yourself from the mundane, that no matter how inspiring the speech, no matter how wonderful the talk, um, you know, uh, Martin Luther King needed money to carry on his campaign. Yeah, and uh, that was something that I learned. It took me a while to pick it up. I was sort of slow, but I, I began to get it. Um, why don't you, Karen, uh, Karen McClellan's here today, our co-host, and why don't you introduce our our guest today, um, Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I notice it's a day that's still not completely celebrated, uh, Karen, by yeah. everybody. Well, it's a good day to talk about democratic politics and talk about organizing and you know making sure everybody gets out to vote which is a lot of what the Democratic Party does. Yeah, today we've got one of the two candidates for the chairman of the Arizona State Democratic Party on. Yeah, before I just want to mention a little bit the... Um, the state Democratic Party chairman is elected by members of what they call the state committee. And they're a group of people who are, are PCs, precinct committee people, and they're allotted by county. And they're chosen by other each, each county precinct group of precinct members chooses people from their group to be on the state committee. It's based on your population. So it's a representative group of people who actually get to vote for the party chair. All of those people who are voting are precinct committee people. They're active in the party. They've been involved either in you know, running for office, collecting signatures, getting out to vote, all of those things. So they're the people who are the active party members is around, I don't know, 800 and odd people who are eligible to vote in this election, which is in two weeks. We attended, both of us attended the door meeting last night, the Democrats of the Red Rocks here in Sedona. Um, 
by the standards when I used to lead the door, the meeting was huge. They mm-hmm. filled that church hall yeah. with, with people and um, a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. Um, and more subcommittee and committee meeting people than I ever saw up yeah. here. And, yeah. You know. yeah. So, and just one note on that. One of our speakers last night was our Congressman Tom O'Halloran, who unfortunately did not win re-election. So we heard from him, gave him a standing ovation, and had a chance to sort of you know, laugh and cry over what he's done for you know, Arizona in his six years in Congress. And that was, yeah. he, he said something interesting, Karen, and about why he ran in the district that he did. Um, which was he felt he should should relate to the people he had always represented, even if it cut his chances of winning. Because um, we all went, wow, that is a really Republican district that Tom's trying to run in. And Tom is probably the best Democrat in the state to, to, to win a sort of Republican uh, district. Uh, but he it was just, a, 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 as they say, a bridge too far. He just didn't make it. Um, so let's go ahead and introduce our guest because um, last year, of course, was an election year, and so we spent so many time, so much time interviewing candidates. And we actually have a candidate today, but she's not running for office in the outside world. It's it's all about organizing the Democratic Party, right, Karen? Yeah. And it's, you all know, we, you know, the Democrats had great wins in Arizona. We've got three statewide officers, you know, Katie Hobbs, Chris Mays, Adrian Fontes, that we did elect, and that's the first time in a long time. I don't know when the last time we had three Democrats state elected statewide. We've had two at a time, but I don't know when the last time there were three elected Democrats in statewide office, plus both of our senators, one of whom we did elect, you know, re-elect this fall, are, are Democrats. So the Democratic Party has made a lot of steps in sort of making Arizona from an automatic Republican state to a swing state, a battleground. And, and, and Sedona is a Democratic town. And, yes. You know, if you're a candidate for office, you're going to leave Sedona with a, up a, quite a few votes. Every, every, pretty much every candidate. You know, of course, if the better the candidate, the the, yeah. the bigger the difference. Um, so we only had that effect. Yeah. But the um, uh, the mayor and the city council people who run nonpartisan, but who ran against this time, we had a uh, Trumpster, um, a middle-aged actress who ran who ran uh, for office, never held office. But what she had was $100,000 of contributions. And, and Karen, we, nobody's ever seen that amount of money Sedona in mayor. a local <laughs> election. Yeah. And, and she was defeated. So it was a good year for us. for us. Yeah, and there were a lot of other statewide things. And, the, you know, the state party did a lot to create those wins. Yeah, and the state party chair is uh, elected for two years. Our former state party chair, Raquel Tehran, is also a state senator, and she is, was elected as the minority leader in the state senate. So she decided not to run again for the the county or the the state chair because those are two jobs that you know you can't do two full time jobs and give them both. Uh, what they need. Um, Yolanda is currently a vice chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. Um, she grew up in rural Arizona, out in the rural part of Yuma County. You know, she's done a lot of work on communications and organizing. Um, her day job that that pays her rent. Um, she's the communications director for a union here in Arizona for the Communication Workers 
of America, which is one of those very large unions that encompass a lot of different trades within the union. So she's got that strong background in, in communications organizing, which is what we need in to look for for the next two years is to build on what we've done to you know, to get everybody to make sure we're... we're well, I was young. I was actually a member of that you union, remember that for, union? A short, for, for a short period of time. We sort of uh, filling in. The, the the union allowed us to come in uh, and not have to pay the union what due. What job were you working at that time? <laughs> we were going around to the frame rooms of the telephone company and looking for open lines. Yes. Um, AT&T then controlled a lot of the uh, telephone, yeah. and they had lost lines. In other words, they had they had lost their their paperwork was so bad yeah. they'd lost they'd lost lines. And yeah. so they that hired was, a bunch of us, uh, basically uh, teenagers and a little bit older, to go through yeah. and find those lines because, it, you know, if you can find something that you misplaced, you know, if you misplace a, a good pair of shoes, yeah. if you find it, it's like buying a yeah. new one. That's yeah. sort of back from the beginning of. Of your union, Londa, which was basically started with the telecommunications world and then expanded to all kinds of things. So if you want to just say a little bit about what you think is the important things for your background, what we need to know about you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, um, Steve and, and Karen, for having me. This is this is great. I appreciate the, the opportunity. Yes, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit about myself that you mentioned a little bit. I'm, I'm from a tiny town in Yuma County called Roll, R-O-L-L, like dinner roll or rock and roll. And the population was about 400 when I was there. Um, I was born in, in uh, San Fernando Valley, California, but when I was two years old, my dad moved the, our family to probably the smallest town he could ever, he, he was able to find. Um, he wanted to get us out of the city, so we well, grew up in this tiny little farming community. My dad was a farm worker. Um, and they moved his way up to be a, a farm mechanic. My mom was a homemaker. She was also a seamstress. She would uh, sew our, all of our clothes, and so we'd go to school looking. Uh, me and my, my siblings, I have uh, one sister and four brothers. We'd go to school looking so weird, but, you know, now looking back at pictures, I'm like, that is so precious. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, I grew up, um, you know, we were on the school lunch program. My dad understood that uh, getting us out of poverty required... Um, you know, public education. We needed to be educated, and he was all about educating us, making sure that we had, um, you know, making sure that we had uh, a good food, healthy food. Nutrition was really big for him, and uh, you know, making sure that we had clean water and all all of those things that that parents um, care about. So we're very lucky. We won the parent lottery with my mom and dad, but. But yes, I was um, very interested to hear that, Steve, that you were a member of CWA. That's so great. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. It was. Um, um I won't say a lot of fun because it was a lot of work, but uh, that was my first union membership, and later on I was. Uh, uh, Member of a, a big local in New York in um, in the hotel and restaurant industry, um, oh, and okay. uh, union was very helpful to me. Folks who hear all this anti-union stuff should understand that uh, that. Um, uh, you know, when, when they start up a hotel in New York, they give them a few months before the union comes in. And uh, 
they were having us work all these extra hours and not paying us. And finally, uh, uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, who was uh, another bartender there, just called the union and said, if you don't come in here, we're going to get, and I didn't even remember the name, but it was a really tough union out of New Haven. And we said, if you don't got, if you guys don't come in and organize, we're going to call these guys in and we're going to, we're going to organize a meeting and, and we, and Bamo, then the, the union came in and, uh, and, um, they got us a lot of back pay. They got us, Karen, they got us about half the back pay the company owed yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, people forget, I think, sometimes now what, what unions have done, you know, and the, why, why the unions of the Democratic Party, which are, I'm a retired post, postal worker. I was a member of the American Postal Workers Union for 25 years. And, yeah. Oh, wow. A shop steward and things that. like that. That's that. a little bit different because well, unions inside great. government agencies are different than unions inside of, you know, private industry. But it's it's that same idea that that, that people, everybody has rights, and you know the yeah. our, the part, our, our political parties, the politicians, everybody should be recognizing that everybody has a right to vote, everybody has a right to a living wage, you know, everybody has a right to sort of basic. You know, basic security in your life. Yeah, the right. union really did right by me. Let me just say that for folks in Arizona who don't understand, where well, unions are weak, don't understand how much they can do. Um, okay. One time the, uh, they were going to, um, uh, audit me because by then I had gone, uh, part time and, um, they calculated the money that I should have made um, on tips based if I'd been full time. It was just silly. It was a yeah. silly thing. But it was really frightening and to get these it. letters from the IRS. And the union acted uh, as your legal representative. That's right. Yeah. The union went in and acted as my legal representative, and I ended up um, paying a couple of hundred dollars that you could argue about. But that was not that was not the yeah. thousands of dollars yeah. that they claimed I, I, yeah. I owed them. So the union did right by me then, and... Um, um, uh, you know, and, and, and frankly, it wasn't probably the best union in the world. It was in receivership. There was some organized crime. <laughs> well, <that's>, and, you <laughs> know, well, uh, that's true of, of all kinds, you know, lots of, of organizations, not just unions. Yeah, when yeah. We, um, yeah, so you've been worked the Communication Workers of America for quite a while, right? And there. Yes, yes, that, that's correct. Um, I started working at a call center in 2003. And, um, you know, talking about uh, working conditions and, you know, making sure that, that um, you know, the, that workers are protected. I mean, the union did that for me. The, um, in, when I first started, it was my first week of, of training, uh, a manager was kind of berating or being really, really mean and rude to uh, one of my coworkers in our training class. And I stood up to the manager and I said, you know, you can't talk to them that way. I mean, my coworker was crying. And and somebody said, like after the manager left, somebody said you should go, you should talk to the union. I'm like, what what, what are you talking about? Well, we have a union. That's why we have all these benefits. So I went and talked to the union um, chief steward, and she said, well, Yolanda, you should be a steward. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, I grew up in in rural, but my dad didn't have any labor rights. The only thing I remember being a, a kid in rural is that we didn't eat the grapes. Like that, we were right. participating in the great boycott, but we—I didn't really understand. Um, but then at the call center, uh, I stood up and I became a union steward. Right, you know, so so quickly after I got hired, and um, I started protect—you know—working to protect our our workers that sometimes would get mistreated, and 
You know, there were times where people would get um, terminated or let go, and I would help put the cases together to bring them back um, with back pay and, um, you know, make them whole again. And so that, you know, that I did that from 2003 all the way to 2010, and in 2010, um, that's when SB 1070 happened. You know, the show-me-your-papers law where it would be legal to pull somebody over based on the color of their skin. And I was just flabbergasted. I could not believe that this was going to be legal and people were going to accept this. And it felt like, that you know, life was just going on and nobody really seemed to, to care, which was not the case because this, that SB 1070 was a real uh, turning point for a lot of folks, a lot of people that, that I still know that I met back then. So 2010, after that happened, I started volunteering my time um, trying to help elect people that, uh, you know, believed similar to me that that was not okay, that racial discrimination was, was fundamentally wrong um, and unconstitutional. And uh, so I, I started doing that, and somebody in the union said, well, you know, we have a political program. We have a, a program that will, that can help you if, if this is the route you want to go. And I said, yeah, this okay, because I was already volunteering all my time. So they sent me to a training in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, I did really well in the training, and I came back to Arizona. It was a week-long training, and I was asked to facilitate trainings for, for members in Arizona. I started doing that, and part of the training was, you know, how to, how to agitate our members into helping them and to move them to take action into, um, you know, fighting for better working conditions. And also, it, it has a, a big political piece in it that was um, how to talk. I was training members on how to... Um, collect money into our political action fund. So I first, I, I would have to model it for people and show them how to do it. You know, I'd go to a, a work site and talk to people about our issues, and this is what the union has fought for, and these are the candidates that are fighting with us, and, you know, if we all collectively pull our money, we're able to help elect these candidates. So I started doing that and did really well with that, and then I, I, I kept getting promoted to different states and helping other states around the country uh, mostly on the western uh, side of the country, and then in 2021, um, I became the. I was promoted to be the national field director, where I, you know, craft or create um, our field plans for uh, electoral and um, and legislative plans. Um, so I, I have a lot of experience in organizing. I think it's, uh, you know, um, it, it is one of the most gratifying things in my life to be able to. To take a mem, you know, to, to help a member understand their their power that they have, that they they could they could say if they're being mistreated, they have a, a they have there are laws that protect them, even if they do not have a union. Um, you know, our labor laws are broken. We do need to make some changes there, but there are there are things that people just don't realize, especially in our in right to work states. People think, well. You know, yeah, everybody has a right to work. That's how it's being framed. But, no, it's really right to work for less. I mean, it's uh, people in right to work states get paid less if they don't have a union fighting to negotiate, you know, for better wages, uh, better working conditions. And, and, I will, and I will just say that, you know, today I'm on Dr. Martin Luther King Day. He was in Memphis fighting. Um, he was, you know, for the, just in support of the sanitation strike that happened there when, the sanitation workers were crushed by a um, uh, a truck when because of their you know terrible working conditions. So they 
went on strike, and he, that, that, you know, that's where he was killed in Memphis, fighting for, for labor rights. Yeah, that goes along with a lot of things because it's we, you know, people in the labor union or labor workforce think, oh, I can, I'm just one little person, I can't do anything. It sort of extends mm-hmm. to the thing of I'm just one vote, what does it matter? We talked at our meeting yesterday, one vote mattered. Look at that, you know, we have a statewide rep, a statewide attorney general who won by only a couple of hundred votes. Yeah. And yep. every single person, if you think you can't make a difference, you can, whether it's you know standing up for yourself in some other way or going out to vote or just working on a campaign because that's you know that was a very tiny majority. We're used to that in more local levels. But that every single vote made a difference there. And, and I don't know how many. We had a lot of immigrant workers in the uh, in the. Uh, hospitality industry in New York City in Manhattan and I don't know how many of them we explained their rights to to them. We said you know they can't do that. They can't make you you know work and not give you pay. And they can't, this is not you know and some of the, a lot of the people that come from, from countries say like Bangladesh or, or where there were not a lot of rules right mm-hmm. and so uh, I, what we did was uh, uh, collectively because we also had the people who did it uh, much more formally explain to them their rights and I think people uh, particularly new immigrants uh, were surprised at the amount of rights you know they can't do this no they can't fire you for that no they can't they can't ask you to work extra hours make you work extra hours and, and so uh, I think that's a, it's important um, what you did which was is a lot of educational work it sounds like because people don't know and particularly people who are um, not raised in America, reared, I guess is the correct phrase. Mm-hmm. And, uh, don't know that they suddenly, when they, if, if you set foot here, if you have a job and you're here legally, you've got lots mm-hmm. of rights. You, they can't just right. mess with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think also another piece to that is, you know, just my experience at the call center um, for almost 20 years, people are survive, trying to survive, trying to pay their bills. They, they just, can't see a way out. It cannot see a different future. Like they're just trying to not go under. Um, and so, I think I think sometimes it's really hard for people to, um, you know, wh- when people at the doors tell me well, voting doesn't matter. I'm you know I'm still in the same situation I was in you know five years ago, six years ago. Nothing changed. We it's it's our responsibility, at least for me as an organizer, to let people know the the wins that we've had, all the, the real changes, like the child tax credit that lifted so many children out of poverty. I mean, it ended, but um, things like that, um, you know, the, the capping of the insulin at $35 a month, you know, I think it's, it's our responsibility to share that with folks. Like, these are things, these are real concrete benefits now that we have because we elected Democrats and because Democrats you know, push this legislation through. So I think it's a it's our responsibility to to, to talk to people because otherwise they they are just trying to survive. And uh, you know, at least in the case of for my my experience at the call center. Yeah, and lots yeah, of we, we, sure. yeah, we're not always the best at blowing blowing our own horn about things, and and we all know, regardless of the political bent of the media, we all hear the media generally 
is more likely to report negatives than positives, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's a right wing or left wing media or it's, you know the local news, you know what the bleeds it leads or the local paper. You know, you get more sales and of reporting about controversies and negatives than writing an article that said, "Here's all the wonderful things that a party or an elected person did." That's not as exciting for the journalist as to as to write about the controversy and the negative things and you know the one thing you didn't get done versus the ten things you did get done. And that's been uh, oh, um, you know back to the party side. You know, it's kind of hard to get that message out because of that aspect of the media and the fractured media in Arizona and we, so we, you know, people think oh it doesn't matter and it really does I'd like to ask uh, Yolanda what what made you switch from the uh, or, or, I don't know, maybe you haven't completely switched yet from the union organizing and union representation um, part uh, union um, core member uh, to to being interested in the Democratic Party and running for the office of chair of the Democratic Party here in Arizona? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think it's, uh, you know, it was just a, a natural, um, I guess, just progression for me. I was just, I was helping everybody that I was trying, I was kind of help elect into office were Democrats, and I thought, well, I have a lot of experience as an organizer and talking to folks and trying to get them um, involved and, you know, with leadership um, development, and I thought it would be, um, you know, I, I, I just thought it, it, it made sense to try to share, you know, some skills that I know um, with, the, with the party, uh, you know, institution, and... And I, there was an opportunity. I, I ran for um, vice chair. I, I was elected as vice chair um, two years ago, or almost two years ago. And that, so I, I worked really closely with Chair Teran on, on the board. But I did, I did see some opportunities for improvement and for uh, building a stronger party. Um, and you know, and one of those uh, opportunities for improvement was running a candidate in, in, in every race. Uh, you know, fielding candidates, recruiting candidates, training candidates, and I'm uh, all about training and repetition, and and also messaging. Working on on messaging, I think we could do a much better job of getting our message out, um, and and you know, uh, not only reacting to Republican attacks where they it's sometimes you know it's, it's a, they're very good at it and it's a big distraction. I think sometimes we. You know, somebody says squirrel, and then we go that way. But I think we need to be proactive in our um, in in our values and what we we can accomplish as Democrats. So I hope that answers your your question. Yeah, it's because that's we you know know that there's always been arguments with, inside the party. You know, these districts that are complete where they're like the district we live in now, which is sixty plus well, fifty some sixty percent registered Republicans. You know, and there's districts like that where it's going to be extremely difficult for a Democrat to win. You know, then it's yeah. is you how do you recruit three? You do you recruit two people to run for the House, one person to run for the House. I know that's an internal discussion that every single LD has had. Is it better to single shot someone to like, two people? You know, what's the and then in some of the other districts is doing, you know, we, at least with clean elections, we do have a mechanism that makes it possible for people to choose to run in districts that are going to be extremely difficult to win in yeah, you know, I, I was without, without going bankrupt themselves. I was sitting yeah, next right. to a candidate who had run for um, county uh, uh, um, 
what's the representative? State representative. Uh, state representative. Yeah. Sorry, and and um, she got. Um, she and the, and, and the fellow she was running with got 39% of the vote. Yeah, and that's one. doing really well. That was an extremely good result. Yeah, yeah extremely good result. And, you know, what can you, what can you say? I mean, it's, uh, in Yavapai County, it, it is a really a, a, a tough road to hoe, and you have to be really willing to run. And she said she went in, she put in 100%. She did everything yeah. she could, everything she yeah. possibly could and she knew in the back of her mind that she wasn't going to win but but she did it anyway and we do need there are counties and and districts that where we need someone who's willing to do that and you need someone to put out that opposing voice you yes. know, that there isn't only only one choice that you is another choice and that you know, may you right. may not win this time but you are if you are you know some of these rural districts if you are not a Republican you're not alone you know that there are other Democrats right. around you and and we've done a lot of stuff in in the county here just on that you know little community gatherings and things where people go I've got a friend in Rimrock who's done that and she got she called up every uh, 600 Democrats in her area. And she got people together who sort of said, I thought I was the only Democrat. Yeah. And realized that their next door neighbor was also a Democrat, but, but they was all assumed everyone was a, so nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, so having the party as a vehicle in these rural areas allows people to come out and talk and realize that they're not alone, that there are a lot of their neighbors who are with them, they just assume, they, everybody assumed their neighbors were Republicans. They do. They yeah. really do. I, I, yeah. I talked to a woman and she said, I thought we were the only uh, uh, Democrats here. I said, no, there are six Democrats on your block and the, and the, and the block over there. There are six of you here, you know. And you're not the only, you're not the only one. And she yeah. said, well, I didn't even know there were Democrats because we, you know, yeah. she hadn't, she never run into somebody who had come around to talk to her yet. Yeah, because yeah, Steve and I have been involved in, like, the Democrats at Red Rocks up here for a long time, and I will say that the, you know, in, in those years, and I think from 2006 when I first got involved, sort of, the party has done a lot to reach out to rural Arizona, you know, to help mm-hmm. candidates run. They're also obviously due to, like, 2016, SB 1070, these other things that sort of, you know, Energize lots of people. There's a lot of non-party groups out there. You know, uh, Arizona List. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, run for something. Um, a handful of Latino organizations focused on voting and candidates. And so we've got a lot of these these other groups out there. And I've seen the party partner with some of those. It seems to me that we're still missing a little bit on on creating a true partnership between all of those other grassroots groups that may or may not call themselves Democrats, but but. Are and I like uh, uh, John Dean's uh, uh, fifty-state strategy. Fifty-state strategy. Yeah, you know, maybe may, may Idaho, there may be no chance of winning, but you still put up a candidate, you still have a yeah. voice. Fifteen, fifteen county strategy. <laughs> yeah, and support all all the counties in in Arizona because if you don't do that, then then Democrats. I mean, it's really just sort of interpersonal stuff. People do feel isolated. They they begin to sort of not bother to vote, or they think yeah. it's everything is impossible, Yolanda. And and yeah. if you if you have someone there, and 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 they have someone to talk to, and uh, I I think it makes a lot of difference. And you don't know. 
gosh, Americans move around all the time now. You don't know where they're going to end up uh, uh, with anyway. Right, so, right. And I think you're both absolutely right. If people feel demoralized if, we, if, if there's not a Democrat on the, on the, on the ballot. Um, and, it, and it ultimately helps to get that message out, that Democratic message out. Like you said, it's a counter to the Republican message. Um, you know, it, it is. Uh, it helps the, the the top of the ticket. I mean, it just it brings people out. It um, and it it, it, is, it does require having you know real conversations with with folks to get them on board. As you know, show the data that you know perhaps this there might, might not be a, a a real path to victory right now, but we can build. This will help us build for a long term um, stronger. Uh, you know, ground um, or operation, and so I think I think it's a win-win. We we have to do it. We have to do it. That was, that's the number one complaint that I heard um, that I've heard talk, in talking to people across uh, the state. Yeah, and hopefully that, the, you know, that if you're elected and the you know that the uh, party will continue to put state re- its own resources because the party does have resources towards supporting the county parties who don't often have resources you know because we know a lot of these rural counties don't have the organizations the businesses the individuals with the deep pockets to fund things where you know because obviously in any state those would tend to be concentrated in the metropolitan areas those people who write the checks and that the party needs to be supporting that state support Karen state State support support for county parties and for organizations like DOOR and I've been involved for 20 years, um, and it just fluctuates up and down. There hasn't been a, a long-term consistent policy, and there hasn't been, I don't know, it hasn't been grounded in what sh- what should be done, like what should be the relationship it, uh, between the state party and, and the county parties and, and other... And all and the other, partner groups yeah, and things. And all this, this if... if if folks could see a diagram, really, Karen's laughing because, well, it would be really, really complicated. But, yeah. uh, what, what do you think, sing, if, we, if you had one thing that could be improved and you're chair of the Democratic Party here in Arizona, what would that be? What would you focus on? Well, I, I, there are many things, but one thing, um, if I have to limit it to one, I would say in, in my listening, you know, my conversations where I've been really focused on listening to, to um, the counties and uh, the, the LDs, um, you know, we have to build our plans from the bottom up based on the needs of, of each county. We have to get input and we have to, you know, be willing to accept the real critiques and be honest about it, about what, where we, what, where we fell short, and and how do we fix this, and how you know what went well, what what uh, could we do better, and what are we never ever going to do again? I think there we have to do a real evaluation um, of uh, of our process and our, our planning and our and, and that includes everything. And communications includes our our field uh, plans includes the, you know, the the resource allocation, all of it. I think um, there are major opportunities for improvement, and that, that's why I'm doing this. Uh, I, I would. The other thing I would add is I I, I strongly 
believe as a as a proud Latina that we are not communicating to Latinos in the way that we um, in, you know in a in a in a strong uh, way. There's a lot to improve there. I see you know there's a lot of data and there's uh, lots of articles being written about older Latino men are going to the Republican Party. We're seeing you know like a, a trend there. We have to uh, stop that, and I am, um, you know, fully bilingual. Um, I believe I can talk to, to folks like my parents, who they both did not speak uh, a lot of English, but they they became U.S. citizens and they voted. So there are a lot of, of, of people out there that may not have a grasp of the English language yet, but um, that I would be able to speak to in their language in Spanish fluently to be able to, to convey a message. Uh, that uh, you know that electing Democrats is um, is, w- is beneficial for their families, beneficial for the for the future of their families, beneficial for them. The Democrats want to protect Social Security, and Medicare. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are a lot of different things that we could do. It's hard to keep it to just one. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that applies to just the outreach that the party's gotten better on, but still it's not the first time outreach to Native American tribes, many of whom tend to vote Democratic, but also are not always represented, you know, in in the, the party structure at from county level up sometimes, yeah. or in, in the candidates that run for office. You know, and those Native Americans are not restricted to just being up there in the district that's went for what the number is this time. That's the Navajo Nation, but there's a lot of uh, other congr- uh, legislative districts. There's a lot of counties that have, yeah. you know, substantial numbers of Native Americans who don't always get involved in the political process. And, and yeah, right. that's another, it's just that outreach to everybody that every single yeah, person has. Many of those folks yeah. live all o- over the state of Arizona. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. live in Maricopa yeah. and work in Maricopa. They're following the jobs and stuff. They may mm-hmm. still have a house. They still have connections. all these yeah. connections up up mm-hmm. in Navajo country, but uh, but they actually live down uh, where there mm-hmm. are other issues like school board issues mm-hmm. where they live and so forth and so on. Um, yep. Yep. What? Right. How how strong is the is is the, is the Democratic Party um, in 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 your opinion in, in terms of Building a, a what I saw when I was more involved in the nuts and bolts was that um, all the candidates have their campaign and their money, all raising everything separately. How how much strength does the Democratic Party have as a party year in and year out? So that so that the party has strength as well as the candidates raising money, which I know that they have to do. But that is there a internal strength in the Democratic Party um, infrastructure that can support individual candidate effort? Yes, I mean there there is a lot of potential for um, building something really really strong, um, and that you know that could include. Things like training candidates on their on their messaging um, that could include training candidates on their fundraising and call time and how do you raise the money and how do you build that that network of, of folks um, or how do you you know do outreach to untapped uh, um, national uh, resources? So I think I think there you know I think the party is is 
is strong, but it has the potential to be stronger. We have to build on the successes that we had in, in 2022, and, um, and I, I feel... I am confident that I'm the person to, to help do that. Yeah, it seems a lot of that training is often these other groups that are, you know, uh, uh, searching out and training Democratic candidates that are not part of the party, and the party, I think, does need to be a more visible part of some of those groups that do a lot of candidate recruitment and training, because we know the candidate recruitment is something, and I will say generally it seems that the Democratic Party seems to have that viewpoint of we're you know, not going to pick the winners and losers ourselves because we need to be sure we're, we're encouraging lots of people to run and that we're out there encouraging more people to run in the primary and everybody to come out and vote in the primary so that you have, you know, those candidates really have that exposure ahead of time. Too many people don't vote right. in the primaries. And, you know, right. and I will say that most of the time I don't feel that as a complaint within the Democratic Party that, that you know, people are being discouraged from running because they're, they're – an outsider, they're newbies, you know, but we need mm-hmm. to continue to encourage everybody to run and run in that primary. They, they may not win the primary, but again, it's, it's good training, it's good practice, it also gets votes yeah. and those people, and we don't always do the best job in getting those people to run and then to remain involved even if they don't win. And bringing forward candidates, down-ticket candidates. Down-ticket candidates, yeah. Uh, right. Creating a sense of excitement about down-ticket <laughs> <laughs> Karen's laughing. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it, I mean it's a tough one. But yeah. but the, uh, Democrats fail yeah, a lot. Everybody wants to run for you know the big yeah. <laughs> exciting yeah. races. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But your your bench is built out of people who run for fire board and school board and um, the uh, the various water boards that there are in the Phoenix area, the hospital board, who run for those other public boards. That's the bench right. for people who run for state legislature, then for Congress, then go on and city council, city yeah. councils, all those things, right. whether they're partisan mm-hmm. or not. Partisan, those are, and there may not be yeah. big ideological issues on city council, but you'll learn how government works, works. Yeah. firsthand, yeah. and you'll learn all exactly. the decisions, and you'll also meet and get a chance to to, to talk to a lot of folks. Um, right, right. It makes you stronger. It makes our party stronger. I think, you know, it. Uh, yeah, it 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 helps. It sharpens our, you know, our, our conception of our future, of the, of the future of the Democratic Party. I think, I think it's a, um, you know, there are a lot of things that go along with running for office, and I think even just providing the support, like a checklist for oh, candidates, yeah. like this is what you have to do. You have to file this yeah, form. You got to do this. We're starting to run out of time here, Yolanda. The 45 minutes disappears. Well, we just one. I was looking at the list of people who endorsed you, and if. People look at the spectrum of the views of the Democratic Party, from sort of mainstream to extremely liberal. You know, the people who view themselves almost as democratic socialists. I see that your your endorsement list includes people across that whole spectrum. People we consider to be more moderate Democrats to people who are extremely liberal Democrats. And I said, basically, if you ask, they would say, I'm a democratic socialist. And I see, which is nice to see that that, you know, includes people from all across the state and across the whole spectrum of views inside the Big Ten Democratic Party. Before we go to how should, um, people who want to support you, how should they contact you? Because it, it's not a direct race. It's not like a, 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 a running for, you know, county supervisor where where you're, you're out yeah. there with a committee. Is there a way for ordinary Democrats to to support you if that's what they want to do? We've got one minute. We're running out of time. 
Well, I mean, if, 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 if you know, I, if people wanted to contact me, I am so, I would be so happy uh, about that. Um, my num, my people can text me. My number is four eight zero two zero 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 seven zero two. If you're a state committee member, you can vote for me on January 28th. And if you're a state committee member, be sure to register for the meeting. It's a meeting. It's a Zoom meeting. You don't have to leave. That's your, right. You yeah, can stay in your pajamas at home and, and get involved. So yeah. We want to thank folks for being with us. This uh, program and all our other programs are available on podcast on our uh, website, vvid.org. And we have a Facebook page now that we're building up uh, where we talk about it. And... Um, and that's where you can find out about upcoming shows on you the Facebook page. You can find out about upcoming shows. We have the mayor of Sedona is coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got a professor early February who's a specialist in, in the old Soviet Union and all the things to talk about the Ukraine. So we're doing both local and international. Thank you for being with us, folks. We appreciate it. Please join us next week, same time. Been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.